Hello, gorgeous. How are you? How are you? I'm doing well. Okay. You know, hope to see another day. <laughs> That's the goal. That's ideal. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Otherwise, you're going to be a ghost haunting me, I feel like. That's right. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> There's a regular at my bar. She's like a semi-regular. And I'm finding out that they're very cool. They got married on Halloween last year. So automatically amazing. Automatic cool. Yeah, factor. Automatically amazing. They came in and one of them was wearing a future ghost sweatshirt. And I was like, I need that in my life. She's like, go go to Etsy. And I was like, got it. And she was saying how <laughs> she got that as bridesmaids gifts for her bridesmaids was the future ghost sweatshirt. And then her wife got knives for like her bridesmaids. <laughs> Like, you people are really cool. I want to be invited to this wedding. Yeah. Dude, for fucking real. I don't usually want to be invited to weddings, but yes, I'm about it. RSVP right now. I know. Because they were like, why weren't we at your Halloween party? And it's like, oh, because we were busy getting married. (laughs) I'm like, that's fair. (laughs) Sorry. Like, that's the one thing that trumps it. I got it. Okay. That's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you? How was your week? My week was good. I went to the movies again because I'm on a fucking Alamo Drafthouse kick. Fuck yeah. Heyo. What'd you see? I went to see The Batman, which was really good. Nice. I really enjoyed it. Great. Cinematography was beautiful. It's real long. I'm going to say that. Mm. Three hours is pushing it for me for a movie. Yeah, that is tough. That's long. It is. That being said, I thought it was very well done. I really enjoyed it. Zoe Kravitz, fantastic as always. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. What about you? Have you got any new shows? Any recommendations? I finished The Dropout. I thought that was very good. Okay. For some inexplicable reason, I had this huge, overwhelming desire to rewatch Closer. I don't know why. It's two hours of two couples being fucking terrible to each other. I don't think I know what this is. It was a play that was turned into a movie. And it's one of those things that when you watch it, you're like, ah, yeah, this is totally a play. And it's Clive Owen. I <laughs> know, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing like where they like kind of go out of their way to like create like more um like uh sets because there like isn't one. There isn't really. It's all like imagine you're an aquarium. Otherwise you'd be like on a stage. Yeah. And it's all very language driven. It's not action driven because in plays the words are the action. So it's very like, oh yeah, this is a play. Yes. And so it's Natalie Portman, Clive Owen, Jude Law, and Julia Roberts. The first scene that Clive Owen has with Natalie Portman, holy fuck, he's so impossibly hot. I like can't handle it. But it's just a bunch of like, it's people cheating on each other and being terrible to each other. And, you know, but the acting is really great, but it's kind of like, ah, this is not really the vibe I want for my life right now. I don't know why I really wanted to watch this. Uh <laughs> It called to you in some way. It did for some reason. You're not selling me on it. I don't want to watch it now. <laughs> I mean, the, the performances are really good and it does move very quickly. It doesn't feel like an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. But it, it's just people being awful to each other. <sighs> I would say I'm not a fan of that, but I've been watching The Righteous Gemstones, which is a lot of people being awful to each other and it's actually very entertaining. <laughs> but that's a different... What have you been watching? Righteous Gemstones. Did you watch that on HBO? I only saw the first season. I haven't seen the second season yet. We just started the second season. I very much enjoyed it. It's (laughs) reminding me a little bit of Secession, obviously, because 
of the family dynamic and whatnot, but obviously way more ridiculous. Oh yeah, absolutely. See, Danny McBride is one of those that I'm very particular about what I like him in. I think I made it like an episode and a half of Eastbound and Down and I like couldn't. I was like, he was so nasty and I don't like mean-spirited shit. I had to come around on that. I did not like it originally. I couldn't. He was, he's so mean and he's so nasty and I just don't like that. That's just not my brand of humor. He really is. And even when you think like, okay, he's like made progress as a character, you're like, no, he hasn't. He's just awful still. He's just a terrible person. Yeah. It's very true. Yeah, he just like... He needed like a redeeming quality in like that episode and a half. And he just like wasn't getting it. I was like, I can't do this. Now, I think Vice Principles, especially season one, is like a work of art. I think it's fucking incredible. I very much enjoyed it. Yes. Yeah. I didn't know how I felt about Righteous Gemstones the first season. I was like, hmm, I don't know. Maybe I should rewatch it. I get that 100%. It has some fantastic lines in it. I will say it has some like fantastic moments in it. Oh, abs- that goes without saying for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But it is very ridiculous. And and there are parts of it that I'm it's painfully awkward and I like don't want to watch it. I have to like get up and get a glass of water and come back. <laughs> yeah. Those are the re- really the only things I had time for aside from one of my sources that I watched for this this week's episode. Oh shit. Okay. I know how that goes. When you're like, what did you watch this week? And I'm like, only things for my story. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's like that and random YouTube videos. Cool. Yeah, I, I have been hearing amazing things about your recommendation from last week. The everything, everyone, everything. Everything, everywhere, all at once. Oh my God, I know. I kind of want to go see it again. The socials have been blowing up with it. Of that it's like, just, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Just watch it, has, is what everyone's saying. Yes. Facts. Facts. It's so good. We were actually just talking about it uh, again because we were like, even though I loved the Batman, like I would totally go see everything everywhere all at once again. That's how good it was. Mm. Mm. <sighs> Gotta. Yeah. Uh, I didn't realize though, apparently it's like playing in a limited yes. release, I guess. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't realize that. And because we're in New York where limited releases get released. I was just like, oh yeah, everyone can go see this. And then I made a recommendation that like not everyone can go see. So sorry guys, <laughs> if I like got you really hyped for it and you don't live in a state where you can go. Move to a better city, God damn it. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. Just kidding, stop. <laughs> <laughs> but also come to New York. New York is great. New York isn't for everyone and I totally get that. Yes, it's one of the reasons I love New York is because like I don't really do a lot of things, but like if I want to do a thing, there's a really good chance that thing is coming to New York. For sure. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I need to think, and like Christina texted me being like, have you watched this thing? I'm like, no, man, I don't have time to do anything. <laughs> like I'm a business lady doing business. Yeah. Doing business things. I, I will have a, a life recommendation though. Oh, that's what we all really need. Let's be real, Monique. Yeah. So I'm a terrible sleeper. Basically when I was a kid, I slept great. And then somewhere along the line, I stopped being able to sleep very well. Reality set in and the anxiety set in. (laughs) And yes, Yes. being an adult. Exactly. All of those things. Pick a thing. And then you were like, oh, I can't just like fall into oblivion now. Like, Right. Exactly. So years ago, Christina recommended. Well, also, I wake up like 47 times in the middle of the night to go pee because I have the world's smallest bladder. So I have a lot working against me. That's my nightmare. Girl. All the time, all the time. So years ago, Christina recommended that I take magnesium because it's a muscle relaxant. 
and that she doesn't, when she takes it, she doesn't get up to pee in the middle of the night and she sleeps really well. But the thing is, Christina also suffers from sleep paralysis. And while there's no basis in scientific fact that those two things are related, I've decided they are. And you're like, I don't want to be paralyzed in my sleep. I will take the getting up 14 times to pee. It's not even just that. I feel like I'd be fine with that. It's because the thing with sleep paralysis is that you're like halfway between dreaming and awake. So your dream like spills over into real life. And Christina tells me about the crazy shit she sees. I'm like, no fucking thank you. I'll just have a terrible night's sleep instead. Like just like the creepy woman at the end of the bed or like more than that? Yeah, the one that her face melted, that one. Yes. I didn't know if it was like different things every time if this happens to her a lot. I think it is. I don't know. It's it's all, it's a shunt for me. I don't want any of that. Yeah, it's all a pass. No. Yeah, it's all a hard pass. So no for me, dog. I think one of many reasons why why sleeping isn't great for me is that I work till late and then sometimes I'm like, well, I'm not going to go to sleep right now, so I might as well go get a drink. None of this is like great <laughs> to go to sleep, especially since I'm, I'm loving this life advice. Continue about this. I can't sleep. Let's go get a drink. Life advice. <laughs> well, no, because in my youth, vibing, smoking a cigarette. In my youth, I used to like be like, okay, I'm gonna like get wasted. I'm gonna have the best sleep of my life. But now I've like gone past that that hill where now I, I'll sleep maybe for like two hours, then I'm up the rest of the night. Yeah, it's awful. So I'm at a bar I frequent and the lovely bartender, Sam, there, we're talking about this because that's what old people do. And she was like, oh, you know, I use magnesium. And I was like, see, I was like, my best friend recommended this, but she, I don't want fucking sleep paralysis. And she's like, no, girl, I get spray. I get magnesium spray and I spray it on the bottom of my feet and it helps me go to sleep. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? She's like, girl, for real. Okay. So I fucking- Got the spray. Got the spray. And then it was like, okay, like, it's like spray it on the bottom of your feet and anywhere that's like sore, it's probably going to tingle. And if it's like uncomfortable, I'm like, oh, is this going to be like a whole fucking thing? And it tingled the first time, but it was fine. Dude, literally in like 20 minutes, I was asleep, which like sometimes it's like two hours to go to bed. And I like, I wake up like pretty rested. What? Yeah. So magnesium spray on the bottom of the feet, right before you go, like rub it in, let it dry. Like don't wipe it with like a towel or anything. Let it air dry and just go to sleep. I'm intrigued. I'll recommend this to Johnny. I don't have a lot of trouble sleeping or staying asleep, really. My thing is I just grind my teeth terribly, Mm. like to the point that it seems like I'm going to crack my jaw, apparently. I've, I've been told. Damn. So that's my thing. But that is really good to know. And I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm into it. I kind of want to try it just to try it, even though I'm a good sleeper, typically. Yeah, try it out. Let me know. Oh, shit. I committed to this. I got like, I didn't get some two ounce bottle bullshit. I was like, boom, like Costco size bottle. I'm like, let's fucking go. I'm committing to this. <laughs> it's like in a paint sprayer. She should like go, you can go ham. <laughs> yeah, I came with a hazmat suit. Love it. The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it has to be on the feet. I was like, can I just like randomly like spritz people and make them fall asleep? Hmm. Noted. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. If you could. Illegal. Definitely. I think that's like a cyanide spray or something. Yeah. Didn't they do that like Kim Jong-un, right? It just like in his face? That that was like cyanide? I mean, I do. Sure. That sounds right. Yeah, right? And then like two women thought they were part of like a prank show, but like they were actually like doing a hit. Are you not remembering any of this? Is that how everything went down? Don't remember any of this. Yeah. 
And they didn't even get, they didn't even get like jail time or like, or like a, the death penalty because they were like, I literally didn't know what I was doing. I thought, I literally thought it was a prank show. I thought it was a prank show where I was like spritzing someone in the face with water and being like, hee hee, not committing like an assassination. That might be my favorite assassination plot ever. Right? Who came up with that? That's brilliant. That's brilliant. The Iceman used to do shit like that. Klukinski, right? Yeah. He used to do shit like that. Motherfucker. People are wild. They're fucking nuts, man. I said, as I was contemplating spraying everyone to try to make them fall asleep randomly. (laughs) Something's not right with me, Monique. I don't know why you continue to talk to me. No, that's why I adore you. Because we're two peas in our weird little pod. In our true crime den. We are two peas. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Speaking of weird things, do you have a weird paranormal story for me? I do. And because she's been the topic of so much of uh, the intro, I'm shouting out Christina, newly married Christina, because uh, she's the one who gave me the suggestion for this story a few weeks back. So thanks, girl. Oh, shit. I love that. And it's very much not the type of thing I would normally do. So here we are. Oh, okay. So we are going to be discussing the Sierra sounds. Do you know what this is? Are you excited? I have a theory that I might know what it's connected to a little bit, but I maybe not. I might be totally wrong. So I'm just excited. Excited. Yeah. (laughs) Monique, I'm always excited. I might seem slightly more excited than I normally do. I love it. So sources, HastingsTribune.com, BigfootBase.com, RonMoorhead.com, NationalCryptidSociety.org, ScientificAmerican.com, Military.com, DistinctlyMontana.com, BigfootEncounters.com, SasquatchCanada.com and the Missing 411 The Hunted documentary. Ron Moorhead loved camping. The hospitality manager and church board administrator from Merced, California loved escaping into the wilderness to take in all its splendor. Ron and I are not the same person. No. No. While he wasn't a hunter at the time, he was friends with a group of hunters that included brothers Warren and Lewis Johnson and housing contractor Bill McDowell, who was also a board member of Ron's church. Then one day in 1971, Ron heard some supremely crazy shit. Apparently earlier that year in late summer, the Johnson brothers hiked to a remote location in the high Sierras to scout for deer population in advance of the hunting season. As soon as night fell, the two heard some strange sounds, yelps, screams, whistles, and other vocalizations that didn't sound human, but also didn't sound like anything they had ever heard in their many years of going to the camp. Warren and Lewis told Bill about their experience, and he agreed to go up with them to see if anything would happen while he was there. And again, as soon as dusk hit, the sound started up again. The three men could hear the vocalizations clear as day, but they couldn't see what was making them. Bill quickly dismissed the sounds, telling the brothers they were probably being made by a bear, and the three went to sleep. When morning broke, Bill was gone, having fucked off, leaving a note with the other campers telling them as much. Yes. (laughs) That's me. That's, yeah, like, bye, good luck with this, because I'm not dealing with any of it. I mean, realistically, I wouldn't have done the gaslight. Yeah. I wouldn't have been like, no, it's probably a bear. Unless he was, like, trying to, like, soothe himself. Oh. Of, like, it's fine, it's a bear. And then, like, realize it's not a fucking bear, and you get the fuck out of here. That's what I'm thinking. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. When Bill got back to his wife, he told her that everything the Johnson brothers had said was true. There was some kind of monster up there. The story quickly spread to Warren and Lewis's wives, 
who got really concerned when their husbands failed to return from camp the following day, as they were expected to. The two men eventually returned two days later than expected, saying there was something in the woods. Bill's wife told Ron that her husband's hunting troop encountered mysterious creatures that made, quote, horrific, intimidating sounds and left five-toed prints around their camp, end quote, which caused Bill to flee in terror. Ron confronted Bill about what happened, and again, Bill, a well-known explorer and trusted friend, told Ron there was something in the woods and that the only way he would go back would be if Ron went with them to collect evidence. Ron agreed to go to the Sierra camp with the group, and soon thereafter, the four men trekked into the wilderness, but this time they would bring tape recorders so that if anything happened, they could have a record of it. The Sierra camp is very remote. The camp is over 8,000 feet in elevation and is over eight miles away from the nearest road, with the only way to get there being on foot or horseback. While there are hiking trails, the men would often leave the forest path and head to the camp via a different route so as not to leave any obvious footpath. On their journey to the camp, they always made it a point to look for evidence of other campers or hunters in the area, but they rarely found anyone within a few miles of the camp. As night fell, the four men gathered around the stove at the camp. Ron makes it a point to tell interviewers that the four men are all family men, professionals with abundant camping experience, and no drugs or alcohol had been consumed by any of them on the trip. As soon as it got dark, the men started hearing the noises. They didn't know what was making the noises, but they were out there in the wilderness, miles away from civilization, and regardless of what was making that noise, they knew there were lots of bears up there. So they went inside to their shelter. And like their shelter, they show it, it's like... Like a shack or is this like a tent situation? It's like neither. What? It's like... In between trees. Oh, it's like a tarpaulin, uh, like tied between trees where it's just like to keep the rain? No, it's not even that. It's literally like sticks and wooden shit put together. And then like their door, quote unquote, is like a log to like camouflage into like the trees. I'm not here for any of this. No fucking thank you. Booze is the only thing that would make this even remotely tolerable. The fact that we're not like drinking or doing any other substances during this (laughs) awful trip is just insane to me. Correct. And then you're like in a sleeping bag in like, for all intents and purposes, it's like, it's like a hiding spot. Yes. It's not even a fucking tent. It's like we're hiding from whatever's going to kill us. No fucking thank you. <laughs> all right. Sleep tight. Everybody, I'll see you in the morning. Don't let the bad bugs bite. Like, no. Once inside, they turned on the tape recorder and listened. The noises continued. The hunters started mimicking back the yelps they were hearing at whatever creature was making them, hoping to communicate. Why? Why? Dude. Why? Literally same. Fuck off right now. If anyone started doing that around me while that was happening, I'd be like, get the fuck out of here right now. No, you're banned from the group. I'm like, shut the fuck up. Like, no. You don't know what this thing is saying. Absolutely fucking not. The tribe has spoken. Get off the fucking island. You have been voted off the fucking island. Your torch is out. Jeff has snuffed your torch. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. Absolutely fucking not. So they were hoping to communicate and whatever it was responded back. Okay. I mean, it's technically already like making these noises. So I feel like anything would sound like a response if you started making them back to play a little devil's advocate here. But sure. I mean, I've heard it and like, they'll like make a Yelp and then the Yelp will come right back. That being said, I would still pee my pants if it made a noise back. I don't have that, that scientific curiosity of like, wow, this is amazing. I'm like, get the fuck out of here right now. Absolutely not. I have scientific curiosity, but I also have self-preservation and... 10,000%. Yeah, those sometimes don't go together. Nope, not in this situation. 
Agreed. No. Ron remembers the group huddled up, petrified in their makeshift shelter. They didn't know what was out there, and he remembers thinking to himself that if things got dicey, maybe they could shoot their way out because the feeling of impending doom was palpable. The four men were sitting ducks. Ron recalls feeling as though the walls of their hiding spot were going to be ripped off at any moment and something was going to reach in and grab them. No fucking thank you. No. No, all of this is a shant from me. For the next few years, Ron, Bill, Warren, and Lewis returned to the site time and time again, always bringing microphones, tape recorders, and plaster of Paris for foot casts. Is there nothing else you guys can do with your time that's like more fun? I like this seems terrifying and awful. And why you continue to subject yourself to this, I will never understand. I'm so not into any of this, like at all. Especially like they don't really seem to be getting anywhere. They're, like they're not like, oh, we, this time we made a big discovery. Like it's the same thing right. over and over. Why are you doing this? <laughs> In the winter of 1971, Warren wrote a 23 page letter to Ivan Sanderson a British biologist, cryptozoologist, and founder of the Society for the Investigation of the Unexplained, detailing the events that had taken place at the camp as indisputable proof of Bigfoot. Sanderson forwarded the letter to Peter Byrne, an investigator who ran the Bigfoot Information Center in the Washington, Oregon area, and Byrne contacted Al Berry. At the time, Al Berry was a reporter working for the Reading Record Searchlight newspaper in Northern California. Al was certain this was a hoax. He held a master's degree in science, was a former officer in the Vietnam War, and had been an investigative reporter for the San Francisco Bee. To say he was skeptical was an understatement. In 1972, he agreed to accompany the men on one of their excursions to the remote deer camp, not to prove the existence of Bigfoot, but rather to disprove the encounters and uncover the whole thing as a ruse. Al brought his own recording equipment, which was much more sophisticated than what the men had been using, and went into full investigator mode. Yeah, all right. Oh, mm-hmm. On the eight-mile walk from the road to the camp, Al kept an eye out for any signs of a hoax. In his article titled, The Sierra Sounds, Al says, quote, but what I witnessed and recorded was not so easily dismissed, end quote. <laughs> all right. Color me fucking intrigued, Monique. <laughs> I'm here for this now. This guy seems legit. Yeah. More so than these people who are just clearly gluttons for punishment because they keep... I completely agree. Yeah. He taped microphones to bush branches and discreetly hung them from tree limbs around the camp. He had done his part. Now he had to wait. At dusk, the creatures made their presence known, breaking branches and thumping wood, as if deliberately letting the men know they were there. The five men moved from the stove to inside the shelter to give the appearance that they had retired for the evening, as the men had done in their previous encounters. They rested on their sleeping bags and heard nothing. Then they heard whistles. And shortly thereafter, aggressive-sounding snarls, snorts, and strange gibberish coming from two different voices, one higher pitched than the other. Is anyone else thinking Bigfoot sex or is it just me? Like, is this like (laughs) mating season? It's just me. I realize. Oh, no. That didn't even occur to me. Yeah, because it's just me, Monique. I'm obsessed with you. (laughs) No, I'm obsessed with you. I'm obsessed with you. (laughs) I'm obsessed with you. I just am obsessed that you put up with me still, even though I say these weird <laughs> things on record. It li- I mean, there's little, there's little Bigfoot. I did learn that the plural is Bigfoots, not Bigfeet. It's never Bigfeet. It's Bigfoots. Okay. But there have to be little baby Bigfoots if there's Bigfoot. So they got to get their bang on. Get your Bigfoot bang on. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I have to stop myself before I say anything worse right now. Like, there's so much happening in my head. I love it. Uh, I love you. You get your Bigfoot bang on, Monique. Because this is dropping on Easter. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Is it? Blasphemy. So sorry. I love it. So uh, my Easter wish for you is you get your Bigfoot bang on. Ew. It's our Easter wish for all of you. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. Jesus would love that. Jesus gave up on me a long time ago. Let's be real. <laughs> I love it. Come to the dark side, Monique. <laughs> I say as I went to church this morning. Oh, yeah. No. This evening. You're so, no, you're, no. I try, man. I'm trying. He's in your court. That's for sure. I'll describe the two voices as sounding both highly excited and edgy. Again, it could be a big for bang. I'm telling It you. sounds like a big for bang. I'm just saying, like, I'm throwing it out there. Fighting or fucking. Those are your options. I mean, it could be a little column A, a little column B. That's what, also what I'm saying, girl. Get it. <laughs> saying. Al got his equipment and began recording what he heard. Al said, quote, the sounds carried through the trees as I have never heard human voices carry ever before or since. And it whistled, a clear, beautiful whistle, like a bird might make between its kind. And at one point, back and forth with us, end quote. He quickly scrambled to the hole they had made in the roof to see if he could get a look at what was making those noises. But in the hour and a half of back and forth, he couldn't see anything in the dark and just had to make do with the recordings he captured over those two nights. The following morning, the crew inspected the camp area during the daylight hours and found that 13 and 18 inch long footprints had been left in thin patches of snow and ice and moist pine beneath the trees. Al photographed and made casts of the prints, but he was still frustrated. He said, quote, How would I deal with evidence that had seemed compelling and credible at the time, yet had no physical point of reference other than footprints? It bothered me that I had not seen what had made the sounds. They were gnarly, emotionally charged, and thoroughly mysterious vocalizations, and they had seemed spontaneous and real enough. We even had whistling and vocal exchanges between quote-unquote them and us. What did they say to them? Like, you know they said some shit and they didn't realize, like... Girl, that's what I'm saying. Like, they could have accidentally been flirting with them, like, initiating a swinger situation. They have no idea. Do you watch, like, Bigfoot, like, erotica? Do you, like, read Bigfoot erotica? If that's a thing, I have not heard about it, but am I Googling it later? Maybe. Everything erotica is a thing. That's true. Rule 34 of the internet. (laughs) That's what it is, right? Rule 34? Yeah. From what? That's just what it's called. Rule 34. Of the internet. I've never heard of Rule 34. Girl. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) Yes, Rule 34. It's a thing. It's the the, whatever the rule is that if it exists, there is porn of it. Period. Oh, yes. Which which tracks, generally. Rule 34. Absolutely. Yes. But who would believe any of this without photographs or description of our aggressive-sounding visitors? End quote. The journalist went on to say, quote, I looked high and low for evidence of the joke, including searching the other's belongings while they were away hunting. I wasn't a novice investigator of facts, but I came home stumped, basically with nothing to write about until the story unraveled by itself, or I helped it with further research and investigation, end quote. So after the men returned home from their expedition, Al got to work. He approached Syntonic Inc., a New York audio acoustics research lab, which is also one of two hired by the U.S. Senate Watergate Committee to investigate President Nixon's tapes. 
Al spoke with the company's president and told him about the recordings he had, and the company offered to run some basic tests on the sounds. While the tests were not extensive by any means, they did reveal a very important thing. The recordings lacked any evidence of a 60-cycle hum, disproving that the sounds the creatures were making had actually been recordings that had been pre-recorded indoors. Okay. So it's not a pre-recording that had been set up that was recorded inside. Okay. So we know that. Al reached out to physical anthropologist Dr. Jarvis Bastion of the University of California, Davis, for help in analyzing his recording. Dr. Bastion provided the investigator with soundgrams of segments of the vocalizations that illustrated the harmonics in their voices. The professor said that his analysis of the recording revealed that whatever had made those sounds, quote, they were primate, end quote. What? Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1977, the Sierra Sounds underwent a year-long evaluation at the University of Wyoming. A semi-quantitative statistical study was undertaken comparing the vocalizations with those of humans. The study was sponsored by the University of Wyoming's Department of Electrical Engineering as part of a thesis program for a Norwegian graduate student named Lassie Hertel, under the direction of Professor of Electrical Engineering, Dr. R. Lynn Kierlin. Kierlin and Hertel concluded that the formant frequencies and vocal tract estimates indicated that there could be as many as three speakers and found that the frequencies were clearly lower than that of humans and that the sound came from a creature with a height ranging from between 7-4 and 8-2. Additionally, they ruled out the presence of alteration. Kierlin and Hertel had explored re-recording variable speeds and playing the recordings backwards but had found no evidence that the tapes had been sped up or slowed down or re-recorded. They were organic pieces of evidence. Curlin wrote, quote, The possibilities for pre-recording are many, but there is no clear reason to believe it is likely. If Bigfoot is actually proven to exist, the vocalizations on these tapes may well be of great anthropological value, being a unique observation of Bigfoot in its natural environment, end quote. The resulting paper... Estimates of pitch and vocal tract length from recorded vocalizations of purported Bigfoot was presented in May 1978 at the conference Anthropology of the Unknown, organized by the Museum of Anthropology at the University of British Columbia, Vancouver, and British Columbia. The paper was subsequently published in an anthology entitled Manlike Monsters on Trial by UBC Press in 1980. The group of men continued to visit the camp and record what they heard from the summer of 1972 until 1975. Until his death in 2012, Al Berry believed the recordings were real, but he always felt that, quote, it would have made the story even more interesting if he could have discovered how anyone could have pulled this off, end quote. So he's like bummed that it's not a hoax. He's like, that would have been a cooler story than Bigfoot being real. Bro, what? 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 How is that cooler that it's a hoax? It's way cooler that Bigfoot's real. I guess. What? Allegedly. I don't know. Allegedly. That same year, Wentworth College professor and former U.S. Navy cryptolinguist Scott Nelson was helping his son with a report for school. The 11 and a half year old was told that he could write his report on any topic. So he chose Bigfoot. Fuck yes. Absolutely. Make it interesting. You got to do schoolwork. Like, yeah, you're going to do it on the fucking, you know, the, the Civil War or some shit. No, get out of here. Bigfoot. I did a paper on the opium wars when I was like in seventh grade. I was like, what's wrong with you? Oh, fucking love you. Like, let's go to some opium dens. Like, uh, let's see what's up with that. Let's do 1880s, baby. Love it. Let's go. 
And you used to, you told me you used to do, uh, like ones on serial killers and shit. Yeah, my senior thesis in Catholic high school was on serial killers. God, you're so cool, Monique. I'm the opposite <laughs> of that, but thank you. They were scouring the internet for articles for the paper when his son asked him what Bigfoot sounded like. So like any of us, Scott typed in Bigfoot sounds into Google and the audio of the Sierra sounds as they have come to be known popped up. They pressed play and Scott quickly put together that he was hearing some kind of language. He said, quote, my whole world changed. It took me out of my paradigm that I was so comfortable in for so long, end quote. Scott determined that the Sierra sounds feature an actual deliberate language. Scott spent 35 years as a cryptolinguist for the Navy. In addition to being fluent in four languages, English, Russian, Spanish, and Persian, his main duties as a cryptolinguist were to identify and analyze foreign communications, recognize changes in transmission modes, and tip the appropriate authority, provide translation expertise to analysts, and provide transcripts and translations from foreign communications. In the Missing 411, The Hunted documentary, Scott says, quote, what we do know is that their vocal range is much greater than human beings. Their frequencies go way above and way below the abilities of humans. I was trained in all of the deceptive practices in voice communications. Besides the fact that you have the creatures stepping on each other in their conversational turns, you have the humans, like Ron, stepping on the creatures back and forth, overlapping their voices on the tapes. It can't be faked. Not in 1974. Plus, it would be extremely dangerous to come up here at night into a camp full of well-armed hunters. Okay, that's true. Yeah. They don't go to bed at night without their guns at their sides. It's ridiculous to think of it. You wouldn't do it just to hoax a bunch of hunters up here. End quote. So all those things are fair. Scott's expertise led to the realization that the recordings contained more than just grunts and snarls. He believed that there are clear distinctions tagged on the words in the form of phonemes or the sounds that combine to create words and even transcribe the Sierra sounds by slowing down the recording considerably. In his report, he writes, quote, Sasquatch language is spoken approximately twice as fast as any known language in most analyzed recordings. Therefore, it must be slowed down to be transcribed accurately, end quote. Scott created a pronunciation key for these phonemes called the Sasquatch Phonetic Alphabet, or SPA, or the Unclassified Hominid Phonetic Alphabet, UHPA, where he uses the Latin alphabet, diacritics, and various other symbols to represent the sounds. Since his introduction to the Sierra Sounds, Scott has gone on several excursions to the camp with Ron Moorhead and has said that he too has heard the primal calls in the wilderness. But while he can't say for certain what the creatures are trying to say, he is able to sense their presence in the woods, even when they're not speaking. He said, quote, you can feel it. There's something about their presence that you can sense, end quote. The strange vocalizations have become known to some as the, quote, samurai sounds, end quote, due to their almost uncounty resemblance to the expressive style favored in old samurai films, which when you <laughs> see both of them, you're like, oh, shit, yeah. That's funny. I'm just, because anime has so many just, like, weird, like, expressive noises that just are very all over the place. And I'm just like giggling about that because I'm just picturing that like in the woods at night. And while it's hilarious when it's an anime, it would be very terrifying. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. The Sierra sounds have become the gold standard for Bigfoot evidence and are used not only to support the claim of a Bigfoot language, but also to legitimize claims of Bigfoot's existence. In August, 2018, the Sierra camp was lost to the California wildfires. So 
even though the group had made it a point to not disclose where the exact location was. You can't even go to it now because those wildfires from California fucking ravaged that shit. So obligatory devil's advocate time. Yes, my favorite. Problematic thing number one, the expeditions were specifically undertaken to hunt for Bigfoot. Yep. Bias. Big time bias. Bam. Right out the gate. Right out the gate. Big time bias. Despite all the recordings and equipment, Bigfoot, quote unquote, was only ever heard but never seen when the recordings were made, which very convenient. Or if we're going to do an Andy Dufresne from Shawshank, it's decidedly inconvenient. (laughs) In an article for Scientific American, Karen Stoltznow is unconvinced of the validity of the recordings. She wrote, quote, The woodknocks are easy to recreate, while the quote-unquote language itself is unconvincing. The vocalizations are an amateur impression of how a proto-language might sound if it evolved from non-human primates. This quote-unquote Bigfoot is likely human, and the Sierra sounds a combination of hoax and misidentification like all of the other evidence for Bigfoot, end quote. Scott Nelson being multilingual and working as a translator doesn't qualify him to identify or describe undocumented languages. That is something for anthropological linguists to do. Also, if Bigfoot exists, it's possible that they would have developed their own system of communication like chimpanzees. Since chimps cannot speak, they communicate using hand gestures, body posture, facial expressions, and they make various noises. By combining gestures that are available to them, chimps are able to convey a wide variety of messages to one another, even though they can't speak. So the argument here is, you know, anthropomorphizing Bigfoot. Yeah. Because we can speak, then they have to be able to speak. But chimps can't speak, but they still communicate. And last but certainly not least, there is no solid evidence to support that Bigfoot exists, let alone that he speaks. Bam, Monique. So, I don't know. I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. Same. That's where I'm at. I'm intrigued. I don't know how much stock I put into this. I'm kind of with you on this. Yeah. We're like, here, I will give you a really ridiculous example. I was woken up the other morning by what I thought was a bird outside my window. Mm -hmm. And it was going on for so long that I was like, fuck this bird. I'm going to like shoo it away. It's clearly right outside the window. And then when I looked, it was not a bird at all. It was a fucking squirrel. And they make like this weird, like little chirping noise, if you don't know. Yeah. And if you're like half asleep and discombobulated, it sounds like a bird, but it was not a bird. It was a fucking squirrel the whole time. So obviously that's not the same thing, but I'm just saying sometimes things sound like other things, especially like if you're in the dark woods and they're like echoing and you're I was a little scared. I think they were a little scared. I would be, yeah. And here's the thing. Scott Nelson, since he like came out as like, you know, being this Bigfoot guy who's who's like, holy shit, this is a real language and I've decoded it or whatever the fuck. He does regularly get audio of people that they think they've they captured Bigfoot sent to him. And he says that he does usually debunk most of them, saying like, it's actually this other thing. So Okay. So there is that. I don't know. I don't know where I fall. Like, because also there's just, there's so many creatures we just don't know exist or things we think have been extinct for hundreds of years. And then there's like, hey, bitch, I'm still here. So I don't know. That's very true. I don't know where I fall on this. 
deep sea creatures are like the thing that makes me convinced that aliens could be real. Because like, have you seen those fucking things? They're crazy looking. Yeah, absolutely. That All of that is, is terrifying to me. Yeah. See, I kind of feel like this is a topic that's pretty irrelevant to me. Yeah, I don't really have a stake in this. <laughs> because unless this is like a Bigfoot takes Manhattan situation, I'm not ever <gasps> going to come across a, a Bigfoot. You know? Somebody should make that movie. That, I would watch that. Am I the only one who got really excited to find out that's coming out next summer? But it's all portrayed by Muppets, so it's fine. It's great. I'm totally, yeah, that's what I was picturing. <laughs> How else are we going to do the Bigfoot? Yeah. I don't want to CGI Bigfoot. I want a no. live puppet Bigfoot. Practical effects only. Yes, please. Yeah, I don't have much, much stake in this game. I'm not going camping. And I'm definitely not going to a place that's eight miles it's an eight mile walk from the closest road. Get the fuck out of here. Absolutely not. No, no. I like to, I, I'll go camping and hiking, but I want to be like by the trail and I want to be able to like see other people. I don't want to go off on my own. I don't even go to Central Park where I can't see the street. I'm always able to see the buildings in the street anytime I'm in Central Park. You're like, I'm going to get lost in here. <laughs> it's big. Yeah, I'm going to get lost and die and be eaten by squirrels and fucking raped and murdered. No, thank you. No, thank you. Indeed. No, thank you. Mm-mm. So yeah, so that's, Christina was supremely freaked out. I'm intrigued. How did she find out about this? She was watching the the documentary, Missing 411, The Hunted, because there was the first documentary is about, well, it's basically about how apparently the park service doesn't have a list of people who go missing in their parks. There is no list that exists. What? Yeah, there's no list because they're, it's not their job. So if you go to like Yosemite, you're like, hey, could I get a list of like everyone who's gone missing? They're like, we don't have that. We don't have to keep that. I would assume just the local authorities would have it because they have to file a report with them. Yeah, it depends on like which county, like which, like it's all, there's no like set, even though it's a national park service, there's no set federal thing on how to deal with that. No one just decided to make a Word document one day where they were like, hey, I'm going to just throw the names in here just in case. So before 2013, like the, the, few missing persons reports, which again are not in one centralized location, are like handwritten in bankers boxes that you have to go through to find. That's true. So there was a, there's like, I think eight missing 411 books and the the author has done two documentaries. And this one, it's in the like tail end of it that he like posits without explicitly saying maybe the reason these people go missing without a trace is Bigfoot. But he doesn't, he doesn't say it. Doesn't explicitly say that, but like, oh, when they were in the woods, they fucking heard this shit. And they never came back. They never came back. Yeah. It's because they got that good Bigfoot dick and they were like, never, I'm never going back to society again. Oh, sweet mystery of life. At last I found you. Amy, you fucking took it out of a mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do it justice if I try to sing it. So, but I will, I will say it in hilarious. Who is going to, it's fucking Madeline Kahn. No one's going to do it justice. She's fucking great. God, I love her so much. She's so amazing. Ah. Uh. Yeah. You know what? I hope that everyone who went missing is actually just getting that Bigfoot D. Although probably not because it's a lot of kids go missing too. So that's not, yeah, it's not a consensual Bigfoot situation. Well, in that case, I hope they have like a nice Harry and the Hendersons experience. Yeah. That's what I want for them. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how I, how I feel about this. I kind of feel like my life would be unchanged if it's like, this is totally real or it's totally fake. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> I do wonder how people would react just like in the public. Yeah. If this would be like, even if they like definitively came out, like the government was literally like, I know it's really crazy that we're having to make this announcement, but like you guys, Bigfoot's real. Bigfoot's fucking real. Yeah. 
What do you guys think? Let us know. I'd like to know. Christina's very disturbed by this. This is very upsetting to her. <laughs> I get it. It's kind of upsetting. But she fucking goes camping and shit because she married a dude that all he wants to do is take her to a fucking cabin in the woods and like go off the grid. So she has a stake in this shit. I don't. She's like, this could happen to me. Again, Bigfoot's not taking over Manhattan. Not with that attitude, Monique. <laughs> no, it's literally, it'll be like young Frankenstein. We'll give him a top hat and some tails and it'll be like, my little buttercup, some shit. I don't know. Like, yes, put on the Ritz. Yes, put on please, the Ritz. Please, please, we'll take him to Broadway shows. It'll be amazing. Nobody would even notice or like give him a second look. I swear to God, people in would, New York, definitely not. No one gives a fuck. No, no, they would literally just be like, "Don't make eye contact with him. Don't." Yeah, he's gonna ask you for money or some shit. Yes. Ah, but people can't resist that that Bigfoot charm, that Musk. If you will. <laughs> it's all the pheromones. I get it. <laughs> I get it. And that Bigfoot D. Girl. <laughs> ride that D train. You especially get that. <laughs> yes. I'm here for it, Moni. A dude who's 7'4", I'd be into that life. Right? That's cute. I'm into that. I'm okay. I'm 5'10". I'm a fucking monster, man. I say as a 5'1 person who would actually be super annoyed at having to deal with somebody who is 7'4". That's too tall for me. Yeah, the looking up, right? The looking up's annoying. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's what I've been told. And then the the like, you ha- if you want them to like kiss you, you literally have to be like, no, come down here. Come to me. <laughs> come down. You can't just like make a move. There's no move you can make that's not like into their abdomen, really. Mm, that's interesting. I never thought of that. Huh. Girl, I dated like a short guy once and it was like actually great because I was like, oh, I can I can just like grab you and pull you to my face. It's amazing. Whenever I want. Oh, that's me all the time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like you have the power. And then I get told I'm too aggressive. <laughs> I don't. If I if, if I want Johnny to kiss me, I literally have to be like, no, mm, come to me. Come down. Come to me, bitch. Bitch just come to you. Yeah. <laughs> just come to you, Amy. <laughs> Damn straight, Monique. Damn straight. So yeah, that's the that's the Sierra Sounds tapes. I had never heard about that. That is very interesting. Yeah. I weirdly thought it was going to be like a Taos Hum thing when you said Sierra Sounds. A what? Taos Hum. Vashon had one too, where it's just like people, some people who live there hear a very distinct like mechanical hum and they don't know what it's from or why or why certain people hear it. That's weird. Yeah. Taos, New Mexico. Hmm. And then, yeah, apparently there was one on Vashon too, which I never heard. I feel like I talked to maybe like one person who said they heard it. Oh, your hearing's not great though. <laughs> My hearing is not great. It's especially not great now. So that's why I was like, I'm not trusting that. If I started hearing a hum, I'd be like, ugh, this is it. My hearing's just going. Yeah. Tinnitus. Fuck. Yeah. My dad has tinnitus. That sucks. Does suck. And he got it like from a medication. What? Yeah. Like an old medication, like a 70s medication that they were like, wow, that was bad. We shouldn't have done that. No, like semi, it's in the last 20 years. Damn. Okay. Yeah. Which that sucks. That does suck. But yeah, tell me, drop in those DMs. Let me know how you feel about this. Of course, we're going to put up the recording on the gram so you can hear it. You can let me know if you're into this, if they're banging as Amy thinks. I need to know. Somebody needs to say <laughs> I'll have to officially weigh in once I hear it. Just your description of it sounded like it. You listen to it, obviously. What is it? Is it sound? It doesn't sound like they're banging. It does not sound human, though? No. No, I don't think it sounds human. Okay. I mean, I don't know. But also, I don't know what I'm, I'm looking out for. You know what I mean? Yeah. I always think about that, like, when actors, like, American actors do a British accent and, they, and like, 
people in the US are like, they fucking nailed it. And then people in the UK are like, no, because they know what they're listening for. Did you hear that? Yes. Yes. And we don't. We're just like, they sound different. Oh my God, they nailed it. You know, so. They're doing such a good job. So I don't, I don't know what I'd be listening for. I know that if I was out in the woods, one red flag. Two, if I heard that shit when I was out in the woods, like that would be a fucking problem for me. Yeah. I would not be living my best life. No. But I also wouldn't necessarily think it was Bigfoot. Well, I mean. I just would think it was like some fucking animal that's making noises. Yeah. But I also don't know what other animals sound like. So I don't have a fucking point of reference. I was thinking that too. I was like, there's a lot of animals that I have no idea. Girl, I have no fucking clue. Yeah. The only reason I know that owls screech is because of my cousin Vinny. Yes. Girl, yes. Oh my gosh. Fucking know that. Or the peacock thing, because my godmother's neighborhood, there's peacocks and they they found fucking sound terrible. Or foxes. If they didn't come out with that song, what does the fox say? And then people like started putting up videos of foxes like screaming. I've never seen that because I couldn't stand that song. Oh yeah. It was kind of an annoying song. Yeah, it was super annoying. But the fox screaming videos were very jarring as well. <laughs> and I love a fox. No, they're so cute. They're so cute. Fox and the Hound, the most traumatizing Disney movie ever. So traumatizing. Not okay. I used to have one that would come through my yard in Florida and eat my cat's food. And my cat would literally just like sit there and wait for the fox to be done. And then like eat after the fox. (laughs) He was a badass outdoor cat. He didn't give a fuck. I love it. I just saw a video on, on Instagram about cats not giving a fuck. And it's like, there's one where there's like literally an alligator is like, coming out of the water and the cat just smacks in the face be like, fuck you. And then a lion smacks him in the face. I'm like, fuck you. Cats are amazing. How are people not cat people? I love them so much. They don't give a fuck. They don't give a fuck. And God made them. He left out the fucks because they don't got one. They don't got a single solitary fuck. No. Good for them. Good for them. We could learn from cats. We could. Bitch, they're the epitome of bitches come to you. Like, I'm not coming to you. Get the fuck out of here. That is their vibe, 100%. <laughs> and if you don't like me, I'm going to come and rub myself all over you. So now you smell of me. Ah! <laughs> You've been thwarted by my plan and my pheromones. Uh, but yeah, do you have uh, any any other any weird crime shit, spooky crime shit? I feel like you're even like you're like afraid to ask me now. You're like, oh god. You're like, Amy, do you have something traumatizing for me this week? I am. I am very afraid. I will say I got multiple text messages being like, there should have been a warning on that episode. <laughs> I was like, I know. So if this if this requires a warning, now's the time, Amy. I will put out a trigger warning for sexual assault. I don't go into much detail, so it shouldn't be too bad. But fair warning, I do mention sexual assault. So if that's going to bother you, just FYI. All right, jumping right into it. Boom, let's go. Sources, NewYorkTimes.com, NewYorkMagazine.com, CBSNews.com, Gothamist.com, NewYorkDailyNews.com, Medium.com, ABC7News.com, Today.com, and Casetext.com. So many dot-coms. So many dot-coms. Not a dot-org in sight. No. This was not... (laughs) This was not dot-org research, Monique. Sorry. No. Simona Samoser was born in Guyana, South America in 1975. Her parents were originally from India, but had relocated to South America where they owned a taxi company. In 1987, when she was around 12 years old, Simona and her sister moved with their parents to the United States. 
I couldn't find much about her childhood, but since the story takes place in New York, I think it's safe to assume that's where the family ended up. And from what I can tell, Simona had a normal childhood and was described as a bubbly person. After she graduated from high school, she attended college for two semesters before deciding not to finish her degree. Instead, Simona used her analytical skills to land high-paying jobs on Wall Street and spent the next 15 years working at various investment firms. During that time, Simona gave birth to a daughter who she named Chiara on January 16, 1998, but continued to work in finance and eventually became an analyst at Morgan Stanley. Mm. And as if that wasn't impressive enough, in 2005, she also opened a bakery franchise, which she operated part-time while she was still working as an analyst. Work. Holy shit. Right? And again, like didn't graduate college and just like fucking right out the gate. Boom. Nailed it. Love it. In 2006, while working at the bakery, Simona met a man named Jerry Ramerton. He was dressed in a suit and tie, and when he introduced himself to her, he told her that he owned a security company and worked as an investigator for the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office. Oh, shit. Simona was impressed, and they further hit it off when he told her that he was divorced and had one child. Mm. As a single mother herself, she could relate. Eventually, the two began dating, and shortly after, Jerry moved into Simona's house in Far Rockaway. At first, he was attentive and things were going well, but it wasn't long before she started to suspect something wasn't quite on the up and up. Mm. First, despite saying he worked for the DA's office, Jerry never actually seemed to go to work. Yeah. Which, dude, at least, like, go get a coffee and hang out in a fucking coffee shop for a couple hours. Like, pretend. When she became suspicious and confronted him about it, he would always have some story about why he was at the apartment they shared. As far as she could tell, he spent most of his time just watching CSI and Law & Order. Then in 2008, Simona discovered that Jerry was in fact still married and actually had three children. Of course. Oh yeah. Always great. My my head, my face is in my hands. (laughs) Girl, you're going to be so infuriated by the end of this. Oh my God. Of course. Of course. What? I'm sorry. what, What time? What time period is this? This is 2008 right now. Google kind of is a thing at this point. Google kind of is a thing at this point. It's kind of a thing. It's not what it is now, but it's kind of a thing. Yeah. I think Facebook is already like for the masses at this point. Yeah. I think it had just... Like had just become... Just become. I think 2007 is when that... Yeah. Made the switch. hmm After she confronted him and called him out on his lies, she ended the relationship. Good for you. After they broke up, Jerry asked if he could live in the basement of her house for two weeks to get his affairs in order. No. Yeah. But she's very nice and said yes. And he ended up living there for months instead. Of course. Of course. Because it's never two weeks. Because that's, he's a fucking scrub. Yep. I don't want no scrubs. TLC. Yes. Yes. Simona said she begged him to leave, but that he refused. (sighs) That's when you call the DA and you're like, get this motherfucker out of my house. Yes. You probably know him. He works for you. Uh He doesn't. (laughs) Get his ass down here to move your ass out. Then on March 8th, 2009, Jerry asked if they could sit down and talk. He followed her into her apartment where he cornered her, grabbed her with one arm, and dragged her down to the basement where he had been staying. Oh my God. He then proceeded to tie her up and duct tape her mouth. Simona said he didn't utter a word. He just took off all his clothes and raped her. He then held her captive for hours while he ordered takeout and watched television. She said there were times he even put a gun to his own head before continuing to rape her. After he was finished, he started to cry and apologize. Fuck you. Yeah. 
But that was the last straw for Simona, who immediately called the police to press charges. Jerry was arrested, but was later released on bail. Of course. Yeah. But released on bail to go to her fucking house to get his shit. I know. That's what I thought was going to happen, too. The story is a little more unexpected than that. Okay. I'm going to let it play out. All right. Cool. Yes. Shortly after he was released, and despite a restraining order that stated he was not to contact her, he called her to demand that she not go through with the case. He also sent his friends to her bakery (gasps) to pressure her into dropping the charges. Oh, my God. But Simona refused to be intimidated. That's also violating the restraining order. (laughs) Doing that is also violating the restraining order. He sent his friends, so it's not... Doesn't matter. ...really him doing... No? Nope. Doesn't matter. That's violating the restraining order. If you have a restraining order against you, and then you have your friend contact the person being like, so-and-so says this, violating the restraining order. Okay. Now, here's the thing. She has to call the cops and say he violated it. So... From my research, what I gathered was when she reported these visits to the police, she was told that nothing could be done. Well, here's the thing. The reality is a lot of cops don't want to do their fucking job. Like my family and I had a stalker for fucking five years and they didn't do dick about it because they were like, well, and this was like a deranged person who was like threatening my mom's life and shit. And like, it was really fucking creepy. But you know, they, they'll come up with reasons to not, they'll be like, well, they haven't threatened your life. Well, there's, well, that like, they come up with every reason to not fucking help you out. And you're like, what the fuck is the point of this restraining order then? Yeah. But I do know that sending your friends to speak on your behalf is violating a restraining order. I mean, it should be. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. Correct. Now, whether the cop wants to enforce it or not, that's a different fucking issue. Yes. Clearly. Yeah. So apparently they don't give a shit. They're not going to do anything about this. Boom. Simona was also forced to deal with a barrage of city health and building inspectors showing up at her bakery to investigate a number of anonymous complaints. Oh my God. Yep. That she was certain Jerry was responsible for. For more than a year, she continued to deal with his and his friend's harassment. Then on May 21st, 2010, Simona was pulled over by the police she quickly realized this was not a routine traffic stop when an officer began yelling at her and forcing her out of the car. What the fuck? She had no idea why she was being pulled over and was shocked when she suddenly found herself handcuffed with the police telling her that they had enough evidence to put her away for a very long time. What the fuck? She said one officer said, quote, you know you did it, end quote, while another told her to just admit it. Simona was arrested and accused of impersonating a police officer in three armed robberies. And according to the police, there was more than enough evidence to prove she was guilty, including credible witness statements and proof that her car had been the getaway vehicle. What the fuck? Girl. On September 15th, 2009, a man named Rajiv Mohalam told the police that he had been handcuffed and robbed of $700 at gunpoint by an Indian woman dressed like a police officer. Six months later, on March 2nd, 2010, a man named Terrell Lovell said he had been robbed in Nassau County by two people wearing police uniforms before they took off in a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Lovell described one of the assailants as a petite Indian woman who roughly matched Simona's description and told police he had managed to get the first three letters of the Jeep's New York license plate, AJD. Then, on May 19, 2010, a woman named Luz Johnson called 911 to report that she had been held up by a couple with guns, wearing bulletproof vests and posing as police officers. She told police they were driving a Jeep Grand Cherokee and was able to give them a full Florida license plate number. She also said the pair called each other by name, Sim and Elvis. When police looked into the Florida plate, 
they realized that the day after the March robbery had been reported, the title and the plate for the Jeep had been transferred from one of Simona's ex-boyfriends, who was nicknamed Elvis, to Simona's sister in Florida. Since Simona still had a Florida's driver's license, she had driven the car to Florida to register it. But to the authorities, it seemed like she was covering her tracks. Mm. Simona was questioned by police. And I read some case notes regarding this, and it's all very, like, she said, they said. Uh But what it seemed to me was that, according to her, the police were basically convinced she was guilty from the start. Right. And... The performed a sloppy interrogation, mm. whereas the police claimed everything was above board and the evidence was so convincing that there was no question in their minds that she had committed these robberies. Uh-huh. Both of those things can be true. Yes. But like they said, they asked her where she had been on such and such date, which was the day of the robbery. And she was like, they never set a date to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm. So... I mean, allegedly, there should be, like, video or audio or transcript of the interrogation, no? There were notes from it. Ooh, red flag. Red flag. Yeah. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. That's fishy. Don't like that. Yes. Despite having no prior criminal record and no apparent motive and strongly professing her innocence, Simona was charged with two counts of robbery, two counts of criminal use of a firearm, two counts of criminal impersonation, and unlawful wearing of a body vest. Mm. Her bail was set at $1 million, which she was unable to pay. Yeah. Remind you, her actual rapist, who she accused of doing this, is out on bail right now. Just throwing that out there for everyone. Simona's bakery had been struggling financially, though, and police ultimately believed that this was the motive for the robberies. In June 2010, a grand jury indicted Simona on armed robbery charges, and for seven months, she sat in prison awaiting trial. Holy fuck! Girl! During that time, she was separated from her 12-year-old daughter, Chiara. She lost her bakery franchise, and her (gasps) house was foreclosed on. She said, quote, I didn't see my daughter. I lost my business. My home went into foreclosure. My mother got sick. I didn't know what I was charged with until the arraignment, end quote. Like, insane, dude. This story is insane. For those seven months in prison, Simona was consumed by one thought. Jerry is behind this. Of course. But when she insisted to the authorities that he had set her up, they didn't believe her. Right. I mean, also, like, how often do they hear that kind of shit? Yeah. But it's like, I accused this guy of rape, and now I'm, like, telling you he, like, did some fucking shit. Maybe look into it. Right. Just throwing it out there, like, at least, like, investigate my alibis and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. This is so fucked up. It's so fucked up, dude. Simona said they acted like she was just trying to blame somebody else for something she did and that they didn't want to look at it at all. So she spent her time behind bars poring over the indictments against her for clues that could help prove her innocence. Mm. Her lawyer said he pleaded with authorities to investigate Simona's alibi that she was at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut on May 19, 2010, when the third armed robbery supposedly took place. Her cell phone record showed that calls were made from her phone at the casino on the day of the robbery, mm. and photographs taken there that night revealed a woman who looked like Simona. But... According to the assistant DA, the photos were not dispositive evidence, and it was possible that she had committed the crime, then driven to Connecticut within that time frame, or more likely had someone else use her cell phone there. Right. No one believed Simona was innocent until on November 30th, when an unnamed informant walked into the Nassau County District Attorney's Office and told the police 
that Jerry Bramerton had staged an elaborate plot to silence Simona. The informant gave detectives Jerry's cell phone number, and when they checked his phone records, they discovered multiple calls to the quote-unquote witnesses of the robberies, Mm. who, when they were confronted by the police about their false witness testimony and interviewed separately, Louisville and Johnson confessed to lying about the robberies and confirmed that the whole thing had been a conspiracy engineered by Jerry to frame Simona. Get a fucking job. How about that? This is so much work. Dude, for fucking real, so much work. Also, I mean, obviously we're not done with the story, but I hope those people did some time for wasting, for filing a false police report and wasting resources. Not that much, but I'll give it to you in a second here. So they confessed that he had promised to pay them to file the false reports and had even told one of the men he would be eligible to get a special visa for victims of violent crimes. Yeah, they said Jerry had coached them by driving them past Simona's house so they could describe her Jeep Grand Cherokee, showing them pictures of her so they could pick her out of a police lineup and telling them what to tell authorities. After their confessions, Lovell and Johnson were arrested and pled guilty to perjury. They were sentenced to six months in jail plus four years of probation. The third witness, Rave Mahalmal, was arrested by the NYPD and charged with perjury, conspiracy, tampering with a witness, and falsely reporting an incident based on his allegations. Mm -hmm. I couldn't find how much time he got. Obviously, I would assume a little more than these other witnesses because he got more charges, but I was not able to find that information. I fucking hope so. They should have all gotten the same amount of time that she was in prison waiting for fucking trial. Right? That's what they should have gotten, at least. At least. That's fair. At least. That's very fair. I agree. Because that's fucked up. It was seven months of her life and it fucking ruined her life, basically. Yeah. Like, she came back from it, but, like, to lose your house and your business and be separated from your daughter for seven months. And especially when, like, at 12, like, seven months is a long time. For fucking real. No. You know, that's one of those things. I Years ago, I went to go see Stephen Avery's first lawyers, like, speak. Yeah. And I remember one of them saying something to the effect of that you should hope to never be accused of a crime because it's irrelevant if you never commit a crime. But if you're accused of a crime and, like... People just have a hard on that you're the one who did it. Even if you didn't do it, you're like completely fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And you can go your whole life without ever committing a crime. But if you're accused of one and shit just doesn't go your way, you're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like terrifying that that's the reality of the justice system. It's so terrifying and it's so fucked up. Mm -hmm. Like I honestly could not, I could not get over the story when I read it. I was like, how the fuck did this ever get this far. People are fucking psychos though. Like they really are. And it's like, there was a girl who came into the bar and told me about a recent like hinge story. Oh no. That was literally like the shit out of a fucking like SVU episode. That basically what ended up happening is she meets this guy on hinge. They get on like gangbusters. They have an amazing connection. He's like, Hey, I live in Jersey city, which is about like 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. He's like, I want to meet you. I'm sending an Uber for you to come to Jersey City, you know, so we can meet, whatever. Great. She gets to Jersey City. She gets out and she's like, hey, I'm here. And he's like, "Um, you actually rejected me several months ago and I've been catfishing you and I'm not this person. And I basically just drove here to strand you in Jersey City. Have fun getting home. Go fuck yourself. And has like not stopped harassing her since. What the fuck? Fuck. 
That's crazy. Dude. And then she keeps blocking him and he keeps getting like burner phones and like <gasps> texting her like explicit fucked up shit. That's so scary. And I'm like, you need to file a fucking restraining order in his county, in your fucking county, like right now. Yeah. Immediately. Yes. And this happened like two weeks ago. People are fucking crazy. Dude, just take the rejection and move on. That's not your person, clearly. Just move the fuck on. Get a job. Move on. Enough. Enough. Thank you. <sighs> it's never enough, Monique. But it's like, if people like like this fucking asshole, the amount of work it takes to... to because this is actually a conspiracy. Like, it actually is a conspiracy against this poor woman. Yeah. You would be like the head of like... You're firm if you put in this much initiative into any job you did. Yes. You'd be fucking making money. You wouldn't have to fucking mooch off of someone's fucking basement apartment. Yeah. Why aren't you like playing the stocks market or something? Like what? What? Actually try and get a job with the DA's office. How about that? Clearly. Yeah. God. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. So in December 2010, 39-year-old Jerry Ramerton was arrested and charged with rape, conspiracy, and perjury. Mm-hmm. On December 2nd, 2010, Simona, after spending seven months in jail, was released from Nassau County Correctional Center just weeks before her own robbery trial was set to begin. Oh my God. This is insane. Like, that's how fucking close this came. Yes. Officials acknowledged that the entire case against her had been concocted by Ramerton, who had vowed to put her away after she refused to drop the rape charges. Jerry was held at Rikers Island without bail until his trial in late 2011, where he pled not guilty to all charges. Fuck you. Fuck you, dude. During his trial, he took his place in court and was smiling at members of the media, carefully taking notes and occasionally shaking his head and opening his mouth as if in shock when prosecutors produced evidence that Jerry extorted witnesses to falsely testify that Simona had robbed them. They showed that he went so far as to stage fake crime scenes in which he planted evidence, handcuffing one of the robbery victims to a pole and planting several bullets at the scene of one of the imaginary crimes. Like, this is the level it went to, Monique. This is fucking ridiculous. So, yes. Yes. This is ridiculous. I know. It was very, very infuriating when I read this whole thing. Prosecutors called it one of the most elaborate framing plots they had ever seen. But Jerry insisted that he was innocent and argued that he had actually spent years helping the police solve cases as an informant. So, like, therefore couldn't be guilty, I guess. There's a record of that. Yes. His lawyer told the jury that it was actually Simona who had framed Jerry Ramerton. Oh, okay. Yep. And claimed that the alleged rape had actually been consensual sex. They also called the prosecution's accusation of this elaborate plot preposterous. Which, dude. But three people flipped on you. Yes. Get the fuck out of here, dude. But again, it's like, it's one of those things when you commit perjury, then you've already lied under oath. So... How can we trust these witnesses who flipped if they've already lied, is his reasoning here. Simona said, quote, I still think he believes in half the lies he told, and he looks at me as the person who did this to him and not that he did this to himself, end quote. Mm. Yeah, obviously, fuck that guy. Yeah. In her victim impact statement, she said he didn't show any remorse and was so intent on revenge that he would have stopped at nothing to destroy her. She said, quote, 
I don't have words for you. You are evil. You are a sociopath. The only thing that helps me sleep at night is that what happened to me was for a reason. Someone needs to put a stop to your madness, end quote. Mm. Justice Richard Buckter said Ramerton deserved no mercy, calling him a diabolical conniver and sinister manipulator who had, mm. quote, shamelessly exploited the criminal justice system, end quote. Yeah. It took a Queen's jury only a day and a half to decide that Jerry Ramerton was guilty. Yep. The judge sentenced him to 32 years in prison. Yes. But Jerry still maintains his innocence, calling Simona a liar and claiming that it was her that framed him. To which Simona responded, quote, I think the truth speaks for itself, end quote. Bye, bitch. Bye. Yeah, fuck this guy. The audacity to be like, I'm not framing her. She's framing me. I cannot. Especially those people who, who do the awful thing and then they have the audacity to be like, I'm actually the victim here. Go fuck yourself. Yes. Get out of here. Fucking so infuriating. Mm-mm. Simona went on to file a civil suit against the New York City Police Department and the Nassau County Police Department for negligence leading to her wrongful imprisonment and claims NYPD cops protected Jerry because he was secretly working as an informant for them. Mm. The suit says he relied on his cop connections two years before he attacked her to help him get another rape victim to drop charges against him. (gasps) Yes, girl. I know. I know. He had worked as an informant for various law enforcement agencies, including the NYPD, the Brooklyn DA, and the Queens DA. He claimed that he had testified in hundreds of cases before a grand jury, which like, think of the implications of that. Like this dude framed somebody. He like has committed perjury. He like got other people to cooperate with him. Like they kind of need to take literally all of his testimony in all of these cases and throw it out, evaluate it for whether it's true. Yeah. I'm going to say probably not. At least it can't be admissible. Girl, like, I didn't realize, like, this was already so fucked up, but, like, the legal ramifications of this, knowing that he was working as a fucking police informant this whole fucking time, is insane. Oh, God. This is nuts. The judge called out the police for their egregious handling of the case, saying detectives had ignored Simona's claims that she was innocent and had too readily believed Ramerton. He said, quote, As a result, a rape victim was framed by her rapist. She was victimized by the rapist and then again by the criminal justice system, end quote. Mm -hmm. While prosecutors argued that the web of false evidence presented by Jerry was so detailed that they had little reason to doubt it, Simona's lawyer said law enforcement was negligent and Simona herself said, quote, they didn't do their job. There was sufficient evidence from day one to prove that I couldn't have done it. From the beginning, I was presumed guilty, not innocent. Mm -hmm. I felt like I never had a chance, end quote. Yeah. Which, fuck, dude. Like, fuck. No. In 2017, Nassau County approved a nearly $3 million settlement for Simona. Good. She said it was a wild end to a wild period of her life. And after losing her business, her home, and custody of her daughter because of this mess, Simona Samar is just trying to rebuild her life. She says she texts the Rikers website frequently to make sure Jerry has not been released or has escaped. And she now also only uses credit cards. So there is always a paper trail attesting to her whereabouts. Mm. So Jerry Ramerton is not set to be released until 2044. 
However, this may not be the end of things because where he left it, he like vowed to get revenge. He thinks he's innocent and he thinks that she has like brought this all upon him. So this is horrifying. It's horrifying. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. I really hope they don't let him out. I cannot imagine a world where this man continues to fucking be able to affect people's lives. But let's hope he gets shipped in prison. I know. Thank you, you for know? saying it. I love when you say the things that I'm like, Amy, don't say that. That's too far. It's terrible. Everyone's going to be like, you're awful. I love you. I mean, maybe someone thinks I'm a piece of shit and that's fine. But like this guy is a cancer who's just destroying people's lives in his wake. He is terrible. And I like watched a very brief interview with him and like, I didn't want to watch too much because I don't want to give him like that much fucking mm-hmm. credit for this. Yeah. But yeah, he's just like straight up. just like, doesn't believe he did it. And it's just like super calm and chill. And it's like, no, <sighs> yeah, it's fucking infuriating, dude. It's so infuriating. Fuck this guy. He can't get out. Fuck this guy. I really hope he doesn't get out. Yeah. But that is the fucking crazy story of Simona Smar, who was framed by her rapist for three armed robberies. Like, I will never get over this. This is so fucked up. So fucked up. Fuck this guy. Fuck the cops who who didn't do their jobs. Like, you have one job, cops. One job. (sighs) Just, like, do some investigating. Yes. Do your job. Yes. Do your job. Do your jobs. Thank you. And again, you are innocent until proven guilty. Like That's how it runs in this country. Yes. You need to operate under that assumption at all times. Mm-hmm. So things like this don't happen. Oh, that story was terrible. It was terrible. But she's not in prison anymore. No, she's got $3 million. She's got $3 million. She's rebuilding her life. Yes. Do you know if she got custody of her kid back? I don't... No. Well, I would imagine now the kid's older than 18. Yes. Yes. I'm not sure. But from what I kind of read, it seems like the daughter went to the father and that her and the father seemed, I would say, amicable. They seemed friendly still. Yeah. I've like read a couple things that kind of implied that. Okay. So I would like to hope so. I would like to think after you're declared like innocent and they're like, oh, we fucked you so hard, you like get your custody of your child back. Yeah. See, but there's always going to be those people who are going to wonder. Yeah. Because there are people who really believe in the justice system and they're like, well, they wouldn't have arrested you if there wasn't a reason why. You have to have done something. Pick the wrong dude. That's what you did. The guy's a fucking psycho. Pick the wrong dude who watched way too much CSI and fucking Law and & Order and literally like got a bunch of people together to fucking frame you. And like <laughs> he did, I will say like he did it in like a semi-intelligent way where he like got people who didn't know each other and he had like apparently like different cell phones to supposedly mm-hmm. call them or whatever. But that being said, he did get people he knew, which don't do that. Right. That's all. Yeah. They're going to trace it back to you, obviously. Right. Fuck this guy. Fuck this guy. And just like the work that went into it, like he had to fucking lay the groundwork for this. Like you had to coach people to lie for you. Like I know. To get revenge, dude, just enough. To get revenge. Again, because she was pressing rape charges. Like, because you raped her. Because you couldn't handle facing the music to something you fucking did. Yes, just don't do that. And then you won't... Don't rape people also. Yeah. That's a fucking novel idea. Too many people haven't learned that shit yet, but just don't. How about that? Yes. 
hot takes left and right. I love it. Fucking crazy. Consent is sexy. This is so fucking nuts. I like, this story is horrifying. It's so crazy. Dude, it's crazy. When I read the fucking headline for this, I was like, I'm sorry, excuse me, what's I need to know. I just keep shaking my head. That's all I can do. All of this immediately. This dude is wild. Fuck this guy. So let's hope he never gets out. Hoping he never gets out. I will give you guys an update in 22 years. (laughs) There you go. There you go. I look forward to it. (laughs) Thank you for your cryptid story. I love cryptids. Thank you, Christina, for suggesting it. Yeah. Thank you for this horrifying story. You're welcome. Does not encourage uh, me to want to date. Just going to throw that out there. This podcast is never going to do that, Monique. It's never. No, that's definitely true. No. That is true. Unless you want some hot, hot alien love or some Bigfoot love and then maybe. Some Bigfoot banging. <laughs> Bigfoot banging <laughs> all day. <laughs> uh, but thanks thanks for the story. This is horrifying. But I'm glad that, you know, she, they righted the wrong at least. Yeah. Because fuck. I did hear in an interview. It was the ABC interview. They were like, did they ever like really apologize to you? And she was like, no. 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 Not at all. At least she got some money. Right? Because mm. so, they will bend over backwards to not fucking give you that shit too. They did her fucking dirty though. Real dirty. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah top to bottom. Absolutely. Mm-mm. Anyway, thanks for the story. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Always. And thank you guys for listening. If you don't follow the show already, you should. We're on the gram at Another Fucking Horror Podcast. You can find me at Pin Up Girl Mo. You can find me at Lobotomy, and that's Lobot period Amy. Every sixth episode, which is next week, we do a True Listener Tales episode where we read your stories. So if you have any crazy shit that's happened to you, please email us at Another Fucking Horror Podcast at gmail.com with a period instead of the you and fucking. As always, keep it cute. Keep it creepy. Bye. Bye.